Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to this episode of MedHeads. Today, we have Craig Payne with us, who is a group facilitator. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Virgil. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we're here to talk about group work in the AOD context. How would you define group work? So group work, uh, it's an opportunity for everyone to get together and to start to explore um, ways that they might be able to help themselves and better understand themselves. Uh, and it's done right. within the group context of the setting so that, um, well, we've got everyone in the same place at the same time. But uh also they can offer opinion and views to each other and, and and learn from their peers at the same time so this understanding about themselves how important is that uh it's very important um starting mm-hmm. to better understand how um how you tick how you react to situations and and how you might react uh differently um is mm-hmm. is really important in the process and Learning new right. behaviours, learning learning new ways to cope is an important part of the process. Right. So understanding how you react and how you behave, you think is a key element in recovery. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, yeah. And being able to, yeah, because once we've got that understanding, we can start to find different solutions to the ones that um, may have been employed before. Right. And that understanding is, is uh, arrived at in, in some kind of process that involves one's peers within the group. I mean, is that always the case? Is it always the case that the group work, uh, that the peers can provide understanding or, or are there other elements to that? Um, I think there's, you, you gain different insights. Uh, and I know as a facilitator, uh, I'm always learning as well it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a two-way process um you would never profess right. to say that i know it all and um yeah it's because it is an individual journey as well um but i think yeah. a lot of the time it, it's great because um they can just get an understanding that they're not the only ones that are feeling the way they do or they're going through things the way they do mm-hmm. a lot of the time people reach treatment and think that they're the only ones that have ever felt this way or the only ones that have ever or done certain things. And so, yeah. um, and that's where the shame and the stigma keep, keeps people trapped. But yeah, so they get that understanding that they're not alone and there's other people struggling just the same. So uh, another way of saying that is that solitude is the barrier to recovery. Uh, isolation is a really isolation. dangerous, um, yeah, it's a really dangerous, yeah. dangerous part of the process. And, and that can be yeah. what happens over the over the course of time. Slowly, people move further and further away, and, and end up more and more mm. alone throughout the throughout mm. the process. Okay, so you've used the word journey. I mean, I suppose within the context of AOD, there is the descent into substance use disorder, and then there is the ascent towards recovery. That's that's how I look at it. How would you describe the journey into substance use? What are the drivers for people to, to start to use and then to continue to use? People start using for all sorts of reasons. They start using because their friends are. They start using yeah. um, just to try something new. They, 
they start using because um, maybe other things they're, they're doing aren't working, um, treatments or, yeah, but I, th- I think most of the time the using will come about through starting just um, for fun or even um, and yeah. to, to start to do it because, um, yeah, people look around and think, oh, they're obviously having fun, I'll, I'll give it a go too. So there's that element of impulsivity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then the the impulsivity, the experimentation, the drug liking then changes into compulsivity. So repeated use. Um, And I suppose there are there are drivers to that switch, aren't there? There's the the biological drive, which is the, the neuroadaptation, but then there are also, the psychosocial factors that perpetuate drug use. And could you tell us a little bit about those? So I suppose that's where we're starting to. Um, people just are looking for maybe an escape to get away from um, from the way they're mm-hmm. feeling, and um, yeah. and this is again why treatment is so difficult because it does affect people in all in different areas: the financial, the social, the educational, the the employment. Mm-hmm. You know, in all those biopsychosocial um, areas, it. it just really, it's, it can start to have impact, um, and yeah, and, and slowly that that can eat away. And so, uh, but yeah, a lot of the time people are looking to to use early days as a bit of an escape, as a way to feel better, as as a celebration, as a as a reward for a, a hard hard uh, week at work. Um, mm-hmm. But depending on the, for some, depending on the frequency where that um, where that starts to happen, it, it, that's where the and just the the reliability and and the values and things can start to fall away, and they're not necessarily um, living life the way they'd like to. You say the word reliability. I, I find that interesting. So a loss of reliability. What what does that mean? Well, maybe it's you know not showing up for appointments, not showing up for family, um, friends and like you know, friends and family skipping things, um, just. Just starting the, where the substance or the behaviour become becomes more of a more prominent than, than catching up with friends and family, or uh, yeah. you know you might start skipping things, skipping work, having a sick day. Um, yeah, you know it just starts to have little impacts along the way that where it becomes the most important thing and not um, other people and, um, and yes. activities so- within in your life. So the drug becomes salient and you lose the ability to engage in other aspects of your life. Yeah, the drug becomes uh, everything you focus on. And yeah. I think that's a, slow, that's a slow process too. Um, it it can be as take? simple as, well, it can take a long time. And for, for some, there's a bigger driver around um, what, where a tipping point into daily, daily use might come from. That can be a significant life event, loss of employment, loss of family member, you know, um, all sorts of things, a relationship breakdown. Um, just little things can tip people over the edge sometimes. And um, and so, yeah, what what can start off? But there's also, you know, people may go from a, a thing of like just I'll go out and I party on the weekend, so that's all it is. But um Maybe somewhere along the line there, the, the only thing that's getting them through their week at work is the thought of going out on the weekend. And so that might then become Friday and Saturday night and then mm. throw in a Thursday night in there or a Tuesday night. And 
Maybe it's down the pub seven nights a week. And, you know, but a lot of people can use for, can, can use for a while without it having major dramatic effects in their life. Um, but then something big may happen that just pulls the rug out from underneath them a little bit and, and, and tips over. Yes, that's an interesting point that you make, that, that there's a lot of people out there that are using or misusing drugs that think, oh, I can stop any time, therefore I don't have a problem. How would you address that issue? Uh, I think it comes down to the impact that it's having on, on their life. Um, mm. And if it's having a detrimental impact, if, if, they, if they were to really have a look at things, are, are they actually happy with the amount they're using and the frequency of which they're using? Um, and are they actually within the power their realms to stop but I always find it funny when um, Fed Fast or Dry July and things spring around that the first thing a lot of people are doing is trying to look for where they might have their buy their way out for a weekend or for a certain day um, and the idea of 30 days without without a drink is um, is it too big to handle sometimes yeah yeah so the, so what you're saying and or what I'm hearing is that the people who say that I don't have a problem because I can quit any time, that's almost diagnostic of the problem. It's the, that, that denial is part of the problem. Denial plays a big part in the process. Um, yeah. And there's a difference between acknowledging there's a problem and then accepting there's a problem too. Um, uh, how would you make that dis the, difference? Uh, that's something that will be known internally. Um, it's, and that's where you start to become willing to... Uh, willing to change a lot more um, than you actually thought was necessary in the, in the first place and just and, and willing to do anything um, anything to make those changes as well. So denial then impedes a willingness to engage in, in therapy. Yeah, absolutely. If, it, if, it, if, if the thought is that there's no problem and I can stop any time, then they're not going to um, engage in, in, in the treatment or uh, maybe their reason for entering treatment is uh, isn't um, it's not it's not all them. It's not driven by them. So their so their heart's right. not in it. And they're not one hundred percent into it. And so if a family if they're going for a family member or going for because a friend thinks they should or you know the wife the wife thinks I should come and do some counselling. So she she yeah. thinks it's a problem. Wow, yeah. they're not really giving themselves to the process. So they're not going to open up and and get the most they can out of that process. So engaging in drug and alcohol therapy, has to, the, the motivation to do that has to come from within. Otherwise, really, what you're saying is it's pretty much a waste of time. I wouldn't say it's a waste of time because um, along the way, seeds are planted. And because this is a process, and it's, it's not generally a one-treatment, so hey, see you later, that's it, I'm fixed. I'll never have a problem with this again. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is a process. And so even throughout, it, whatever it is, even if there's little seeds, little bits being planted um, along the way, then that might make sense in another three months, six months, two years when they go back through treatment again. And I, I hear that a lot from people is that, you know, last time I came through it was because I was here for the wife or because, um, oh, yeah. And there's nothing around this, you know. I, I want to be a better dad. I want to be these things, and and that's great. That's that's really good. But when it comes from here, and it's like because I want to, I want to make these changes, and I want to do it for me. 
um, yeah, the willingness to to stop and to listen and to and to actually try and um, and make the changes necessary uh, in their life. Um, that's where that real driver and commitment to it comes from. So it's not unusual then for patients to have repeat episodes of detox uh, in their journey towards recovery. Absolutely not. Um, we yeah. see many um, patients again and again, um, yeah. and and that's over varying lengths of time too that they might come back in. Yeah. And let's remember that recovery. Um, there's no guarantees, and it, and it takes daily work as well. And it, it, it's it's something that's, that needs to be worked on um, every day for the for the rest of your life. Now, um, that can sound really big and really daunting, but if you get the right uh, program in place for you, and you, you you can strike the right balance for you, um, and that takes time. Trying to strike that right balance, all of a sudden you've got to um, make commitments within your life to new things. You've got to find room for new things, and still balance family and friends, and um, yeah, and there's there's big changes to be made. So um, yeah, it's a stop start process, and um, and yeah, the the drive to use is is always a big one if things aren't like things can get you going along really well for a while and then that might change and the default position is to use again or to, to start thinking about using again and then the craving sets in and um and, that, and that's a difficult uh difficult to deal with so yeah, yeah so you know we see people um a number of times but just the hope is that whether it's through counseling or detox or rehab or whatever parts of that process then um, yeah they talk about it like peeling or peeling away an onion there's there's another layer and another layer and another layer and for each person that that might be bigger or uh, there might be bigger issues to deal with so might yeah we open a new layer and then something big needs to be worked on so but yeah each time the drive to um, to stop using is usually um, it like lessons are learnt from it and the, yeah. and the drive to stop grows. Right. So I think what you're alluding to there is that, that, that uh, addiction is a chronic relapsing disorder associated with a long neuroadaptation. So detox is not the answer. It's really easy to detox. What's harder is actually to stay off drugs, and that, that requires legwork from the person, him or herself, from the patient. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one counsellor I worked with, he, he used to drill it through that, um, addiction was fifteen percent chemical and eighty five percent life issues, and yeah. and that's something that I've, I, I carry with and I, and I try and teach because yeah you can walk out of a detox after seven to ten days and have no chemical in your system and but that's not where the answer lies the answer lies yeah. in finding ways not to use throughout the rest of your life when when things are going um, going well and that's because that's another mm-hmm. driver maybe things are going really well and you think I've got this. And and that's, this is that's easy. the trap that a lot of people, yeah, that's the trap that I've a lot of people this. fall this is into again is, I've got this, I know what I need to do differently this time. If I just uh, use on Saturdays or if I just go to the uh, pub once a week or if I drink light beer yeah. if I, and, and start isn't, to try isn't that part of denial? I've got this, isn't that part, part of, of denial? It, yeah, well, it's definitely where the complacency comes in and, and, that's, and the denial of the problems swings back. And so, yeah. um, and that's where the full acknowledgement comes in and the full acceptance that I've got a problem. It's the difference between acknowledging there's a problem 
and then accepting that there's a problem and, and accepting um, that, yeah, that you really have to do things differently for the rest of your life. So, um, and, and, and can't use again. So where does that insight come from? I mean, or I suppose another way of asking that question is, is this the rock bottom that we hear so often? Uh, yeah, rock bottom, um, again, is different for everyone. And it, it doesn't need to be, and I suppose it's that point where you're hidden and, and think, I never want to go back there again. And I'll do yeah. anything I can not to go back there. Um, and for each person, that, that that's different. And I hear a lot about, um, I thought I was at rock bottom, but then a trap door opened and it got worse. What, what does and, that mean? What, how, how would you describe that? For in someone's life, uh, well, they might just think that the loss, a loss of a relationship, was uh, was rock bottom. Okay, yeah, um, I've lost 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 a marriage, and um, and that that was my rock bottom. Um, but then they keep using, and then might find themselves jobless, or and then homeless, and then you know, and so they might have sought treatment at, at the relationship breakdown phase. And then thought that's okay. I, I, I've had the break. I can go back and use again. Um, but then it starts to cause more problems, and they lose a job. And then yeah. that causes more problems. And yeah, and so um, yeah, it's just that that thought, that that acknowledgement that hey, maybe I'm one of the people that just can't use. Uh, there's people that, that can quite happily get around and, um, and go to the pub and have a couple of beers and walk away, or that can party on the weekend but for um for some out there it's just that's where it causes too many issues and too many problems um and it will repeatedly have that effect yeah so rock bottom is conceptually the lowest point in one's life that occurs as a result of drug use which then spurs the patient to to at least think about a recovery journey so uh, i suppose my next point is to what extent does despair play a role in recovery? Uh, it's a big part of the process. When um, when someone becomes willing to to change their ideas of themselves and to change the ideas and the perceptions of, of what they've what they've held onto, it's a lot of the, and they start to become willing to do the things that have been suggested to them. Um, Instead of instead instead of fighting those, and instead of turning around with the answer of "Oh yeah, that might work for that person, but that's not going to work for me because," and you get the "yeah buts" come into thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's buts. a really good idea, but uh, yeah. yeah, but I, I'm different, and yeah, but I'm, and so then they start to look around and start to see, and but and this can be part of the group process as well. Is that maybe they're learning from others what they had to change and, and the changes they had that, that they, they enforced and that other people had these thoughts as well and um, but yeah now there's it's necessary for, for bigger changes to be made in their life and and that willingness to to do that is um, is key um, because it does it takes changing um, people you hang out with places you go your in, your environments um, maybe leaving some, um, you know, not seeing people anymore. And so people, places and things need to change. And, um, and the willingness to do that is um, that, mm. that can be drawn from rock bottom because rock bottom is a scary place to be. 
and it's not where people want to go back to. So the despair stops the yeah buts, that's what you're saying. And it's the yeah buts that what? impede recovery. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a new le- new learning or <clears throat> not a new learning itself. I I don't think because I think there's a, a big um, a big impact like on, on needing to create this whole new life and this whole and it, it just makes it sound so big. But within with, within everyone, there's, there's there's great things and and part of there is great part of, parts of their lives and it's just it's reconcentrating on those and and building on those. Um, and identifying what those are, identifying the patterns that need to change, um, and and employing the solutions to do it, and learning the tools, the emotional um, emotional tools to be able to cope in situations without turning to a substance. And I suppose that's the key to recovery, because what we've talked about is the descent into into addiction, the rock bottom, the realization that you know there's no more role for yeah buts. And then all of a sudden, when you're filled with this, this, this abject horror, this despair at how your life has turned, that's when the door to recovery opens. And then the enormity of the recovery ahead of you becomes a challenge, doesn't it? So you need to be taught how to make those steps towards recovery. You need to learn an entirely new set of skills. You need to learn how to identify negative emotions, negative cognitions, and how to cope with them. And rather than resorting to drugs, which was a previous maladaptive strategy, one needs to learn how to, how to cope with them with a new strategy. And that's the, the journey to recovery. And that's where you come in, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you know, in detox, we're just that, that first part of the program. Um, yeah. And, well, and we, have the, we have the stabilization from there as well. And um, so we just do, 20, we do, do up to 28 days for people. But this is why there's then rehabs and rehabs yes. go for anywhere up to 18 months you know yes. and people might do yeah. a couple of three months rehabs and then realize oh maybe i need to do a six and um but yeah. i also hear that from a lot of people that i've done rehab i've done it twice i know what i need to do i'm just not doing it and why that is that why do why... willingness a lack of willingness what causes that lack of willingness or you know, why do people do rehab multiple times? Because that's, that's ultimately the best treatment, isn't it? You go through your detox, then you do your stabilization if it's available, and then you do your long-term rehab. So you, you're effectively, you know, you've, you've had the best possible treatment after 12 months of rehab. And the minute you get out, there's a relapse. Why is that? Uh, a lot of the time it's because they go back to the same people, places, and things. Um, yeah. And, and it's also in rehab, in the treatment facilities, you're in a very safe environment. And so you've learned all these things and, and, that, and that's really great. And it's great to have that knowledge. But then walking away from there, it's up to you again. And a lot of the support has been taken away. You've been working with counsellors in close proximity every day to counsellors and to, um, to mm. peers and um, had access to people identif- helping you identify times where you need to change change behaviours, and um, and then that's taken away, and all of a sudden it's just down to you, and um, and that's that's again another another learning curve, and that's part of the process, and so I think that's where it's important. Hopefully, 
you'd start you'd start to look at things more and walking out and still continuing with counselling and continuing with um, with other professional supports uh, so that you continue continue to um, to monitor yourself. I mean, people see psychologists for, for years, you know, and and, um, and that becomes part of their process because we all need someone to help keep us accountable. So really, what is, I suppose what I'm hearing is that even after rehab, the journey doesn't stop. For a, for a recovery to really occur, rehab is the is the kind of the university that uh, provides you with the tools to then go on to into a successful life. But it's still a process. You still need to be engaging in uh, in therapeutic interactions with with whoever it is that you 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 have in your life, be it counselors, be it doctors, be it psychologists, be it peer groups. It's that process must continue beyond the rehab. And that's and it comes down to the biopsychosocial part of everything as well because yeah, we need a um, a, a trying to, a well set up life. You know, like it's something that's not going to add pressures to your life. So um, you know, financial employment, education, um, stable housing. All these things need to um, fall into place, and that's a big hole in our system. Um, mm. So, if for a lot of people, so the housing they might be returning to isn't uh, isn't a great space to be. Um, some of the boarding houses, the rooming houses, it's great that the accommodation's there, but it's not necessarily the the healthiest environment for a, um, an addict in recovery to return to. Um, yeah. maybe you know, not satisfied employment. So finances become a strain. So, you know, unless we can start to change things and, um, and help people transition better into a, a, a more fulfilling life, um, then that, that's where the next gaps need to, need to be uh, worked on. Yeah, it's it's a it's a life journey, the recovery from addiction, and it, it doesn't stop at any particular time. You know, it, it, it's a process that has to be continued. As a final point, as a final thought today, Craig, because we are running out of time, what message of hope would you give to someone who's who's maybe realizing that they've got a problem? Uh, the hope is that, um, that change is possible and there is a better, mm. um, there is a better way of living out there and that it's, it's not all roses and it's not all, not all easy going, but it is possible. And there's, um, there's a hell of a lot of people in recovery out there and, um, you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't know it. Um, but it really is possible and, and just it takes persistence and it's um and it takes just just forget about the fact that this is um uh, that there's no instant fix to this but there is a fix mm-hmm. and it is possible and it, it's you can really have a um there's a better way of living out there and don't give up every don't little give up. i was just trying to say to people like along the process that um there'll be stops and starts and this and there's speed humps it's not success or failure we put too much emphasis on success and failure. I failed. I relapsed. I failed. I'm a fa- it's not. It's just a speed hump, and it's a learning. It's a learning curve, and it's a, an opportunity to work out. All right, what happened this time? 
and what do I have to change or do differently for next time? Because there were some really good um, learnings in there and things were going okay for a little while. So what do I take from the positives and not concentrate on the negatives? So you've just touched on another vast topic about which is relapse and relapse prevention. So I wonder if you'd be able to join us again uh, to, to talk about that. But for today, I'm afraid we've run out of time. I suppose my final message is that uh, recovery is an option for everybody. Thank you very much, Craig, for your time. Thanks, Craig. Great to chat to you. Thank you, Craig. And for those watching, we hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us again soon.